You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Well, if you'd like to uh, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, verse 18, we'll go ahead and read this verse and then pray over our study this morning. Luke 16, 18. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And Lord, we just come to you, just the God of the word. And we come with humility, just wanting to be changed and wanting to be sanctified and just daily set apart for you, Lord. And as we come to this this passage, this verse that uh, so many churches want to skip over or the temptation is to to go right into the story of Lazarus and the rich man and Hades and Abraham's bosom and the exciting story that's there. Um, Lord, we do want to meditate and chew on uh, and listen to your heart concerning marriage and divorce and remarriage. And so as just a young man, I just humble myself and cry out that you'd speak through me and that uh, your love and your grace would overshadow Uh, the study today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, divorced couples in Albuquerque, New Mexico can take advantage of a new business in town. The company is called Freedom Rings, Jewelry for the Divorced. Founded by jeweler and divorcee Lynn Peters, the company makes custom jewelry out of old wedding rings. Each customer at Freedom Rings pays a fee, and the ring-smashing ceremony begins, complete with champagne and music. Just before the smashings, the MC says, we will now release any remaining ties to your past by transforming your ring, which represents the past, into a token of your new beginning. Now take the hammer. Stop for a moment to consider the transformation that's about to begin your new life. Ready? With this swing, let freedom ring. She then uses a four-pound sledgehammer to whack her emblem of love and fidelity into a shapeless piece of metal, and the ceremony ends. And so it's so sad and yet not surprising that women are pounding their wedding rings into pendants And men are grinding down their old wedding rings into golf ball markers. Uh, Shouldn't surprise us, and yet it grieves us. Because Oregon saw 29,351 marriages in 2007, but it also saw 14,844 divorces the same year. And if you do the math, that's almost exactly... 50%. 72% of the entire U.S. population gets divorced every year. And the sad thing is that the born-again adult divorce figure is statistically identical to that of non-born-again adults. 32% versus 33% respectively. That's so sad. It grieves my heart, and I know it grieves the Lord's heart. Listen to this article from the Georgia Family Council. It says, in first ever research, a new report quantifies a minimum of $112 billion annual taxpayer dollars 
from high rates of divorce and unmarried childbearing. It identifies national, state, and local costs, which account for more than $1 trillion in the last decade. Even a small improvement in the health of marriage in America would result in enormous savings to taxpayers. He continued, uh, the, the, the guy quoted there, an exa- uh, for example, a 1% reduction in rates of family fragmentation would save taxpayers $1.1 billion a year. To the extent that family fragmentation causes negative outcome for children and adults, it also leads to higher costs to taxpayers through higher spending on anti-poverty programs and throughout the justice and educational systems, as well as losses to government coffers and foregone tax revenues. Potential risks to children raised in fragmented families have been identified to include poverty, mental illness, physical illness, infant mortality, lower educational attainment, juvenile delinquency, conduct disorders, adult criminality, and early unwed parenthood. Both economic and human costs make family fragmentation a legitimate public concern. Historically, Americans have resisted the impulse to surrender to negative and hurtful trends. We fight problems like racism, poverty, and domestic violence because we understand that the stakes are high. And while we'll never eliminate divorce and unwed childbearing entirely, we can certainly be doing more to help marriages and families succeed. That's an article called The Taxpayer Cost of Divorce and Unwed Childbearing. And it's interesting to me because... Uh, you know, yesterday in Washington, tens of thousands of, of people gathered to, to picket and to, uh, you know, to, to yell at the current administration for the economy and where we're at and that type of stuff. And yet the funny thing is I wonder what percentage of those people, you know, are adding to the, the stresses of the economy because of their, um, you know, the divorces that they've gone through, the number of divorces they've gone through, or that they're going through a divorce right now. Studies on and the themes of 2 Samuel and 1 Kings that where you're obedient, blessing comes. But when there's disobedience, there's judgment. And so in in the one verse there in Luke 16, verse 18, you know, it'd be so tempting to move on and and do this interesting uh, account of the rich man and Lazarus in Hades. And yet I I would be doing you a disservice uh, to just to just to do that. So we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 19, where there's uh, much more given to us concerning this subject. In verse 3 of Matthew 19, the Pharisees also came to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, back in Jesus' day, there were three different rabbis who had three different views on divorce. There was Rabbi Shammai, who had a liberal view. Uh, The Shammai followers uh, took Deuteronomy 24 to the level that they could dismiss their wives for any reason. And the prerogative rested exclusively with the husband. Direct quotes from the literature of the day say that if you burnt the dinner... Or if you put too much salt on the dinner, that you're dismissed. (laughs) 
it's time for a divorce. Or if you were disrespectful or if you didn't like your in-laws, that that was grounds for an immediate dismissal and a divorce. And the sad thing is, is most reasons nowadays are not any better than, than Rabbi Shammai's reasons. Then there was Rabbi Akabai, who stated that if a man saw another woman more beautiful than his wife, uh, he could divorce his wife just for that alone. Now, Sylvester Stallone said right after filming Rocky that boxing is a great sport as long as you can yell cut whenever you want. And uh, people are taking that into the marriage realm. You know, oh, marriage is great, but get out whenever it starts getting a little bit difficult. And uh, many follow Shammai and Akabai. And then thirdly, the, the third rabbi, Hillel, had more of a conservative view that marriage was sacred and that the only grounds for divorce was adultery. And, and, and that was, you know, that's pretty biblical right there. But um, there's four different main views that we have today. And, and let me run them by you. And in your mind, tell me which one is probably the most biblical. Uh, number one, divorce and remarriage are permitted in all circumstances. Whatever circumstance, you can get a divorce. And whatever circumstance, you can be remarried. Second, divorce and remarriage are forbidden in any circumstance. There are many out there who hold to that. Divorce is allowed in some circumstances, but never remarriage. And finally, divorce and remarriage are permitted, but in very limited circumstances. So as a church that wants to be governed by the word of God and as a husband and as family members who want to be governed by the word of God, let's dig into the scriptures today and see which one of those is probably the most biblically accurate. Now, as the Pharisees came and they brought this question before Jesus, is it lawful to, to uh, dismiss your wife for just any reason? What they were trying to do is catch Jesus in a, in a catch 22, because if he disagreed with Shammai, then the Shammai followers would be angry with him. If he disagreed with Akabai or Hillel, then they'd be. And the, and the Pharisees were trying to get anybody that they could to be angry with Jesus to, to cause some sort of uprising. But Jesus didn't take sides with Shammai or Hillel or Akabai, but he, he went straight to the word of God. And so in verse 4, it says, he answered and he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus takes us clear back to the beginning, clear back to Genesis chapter one, verse 27 and Genesis 2, verse 24. Now, I love that Jesus had no problems turning people to the, to the narrative of Adam and Eve and that he would hold to that account as historically accurate and authoritative. You know, sometimes we're ashamed to, to point non-believers to stories such as Jonah and the whale or Moses in the burning bush or Noah in the ark. Because, you know, the world says it's foolishness. But to Jesus, these were historical and authoritative accounts. Now, notice that it, that it says, uh, have you not read in verse 4, 
that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now, notice here the singularity, male and female, not men and women. In the beginning, God made them men and he made them women. But no, there's, there's, a, there's a singleness there that it's male and female. And what we get out of this is that if Adam was going to bail on Eve, you know, one night they get in a fight and he's done with her. He's out of there. Well, that would be all well and fine. But Adam had two options. He was either going to be single for the rest of his life because there were no other women out there. Or he was going to be reconciled to her. And you can only imagine how if you were fly on the wall in the, in the cave or whatever they lived in, you know. <laughs> I'm out of here. Fine. Go live with the wolves, you know, because there's nobody else. <laughs> Boy, it'd be great to have that leverage. And what we get from the beginning, what we get from the, the foundation, from the creation account is that when you leave someone, it's bizarre. It's weird. It's out of the norm. It's not natural. It's not any more natural than Adam and Steve being together. We use that all the time. It was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, you know? And it's like, yeah, it was Adam and Eve. So why are you getting a divorce? <laughs> you know, he made them male and female in the beginning. He made it one and one. And yet marriage has become a revolving door. You know, you're in one marriage, you're out of that marriage. You're in another marriage, you're in another. And, and the multiple marriages that we're stacking up on ourselves, it's, it's, it's sad. Vows like, till death do us part, you know, or for better or for worse, you know, in sickness and in health. I just try and say that with just the most romance that I can. Oh, you mean it in sickness and oh, I mean it, you know, they've been replaced with until I find someone better. Until you really tick me off. Until you start getting old and succumb to the effects of gravity. You know, getting all saggy. <laughs> We've replaced our, our vows and our, our um, covenants with the Lord into some mere contract that we can burn at any whim that we might have. And then in verse 5, he also says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so that they're no longer two, but one flesh. So they're, they're two made one here. When marriage occurs, something divine happens where, where two are made one. And, and in God's economy, math is a whole lot different. You know, one plus one equals one. In God's arithmetic book. And so because of that, God's heart is that there never be a painful splitting up or ripping up of that union. It's funny, as I was researching divorce, uh, I went to this one website and it was a, a, a state run website. Each state has one. And one of the pictures, kind of insensitive, I think, was a uh, a picture of the top cake on a wedding cake and a husband and wife with a knife going down between them. 
And it cut and made a, a split between them and cut the cake in half. And it would be painful if those little people on top of the cake were, cake were real. And, uh, and yet, really, it's just as painful. There never was meant to be this splitting up of the two. And because of that, God will never initiate a divorce. When Jesus is quoting Genesis here, Jesus is declaring that God established marriage. He established it, and not just for Christians, but at the heart of creation for every human being, this is how he made it. And so when you split up a marriage, when you cut the union in two, you're breaking the seal that's been engraven and stamped by the hand of Almighty God. Jesus took us past the concessions that the Pharisees wanted to meditate on, the divorce paper, and he took us back to the foundation, to creation. And to be able to talk about divorce, you need to fully understand what marriage is. And that's why Jesus did that. He took us back so that we would understand what marriage was. And so he says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It's not something that man can separate now. It's a covenant between God and man. And the only thing that can separate what God has joined together is selfish man. And so in verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? So notice the Pharisees didn't say that it was God's plan, but that it was Moses who represents the law commanding, which is wrong, their, their theology was wrong there, their history was wrong, their scripture knowledge was wrong, but they said that he commanded a certificate of divorce. And I remember when some Mormons came uh, to my door and I was sharing with them and, uh, and sharing with one of their practices that was flawed was, um, you know, polygamy. And, uh, and they said, well, don't you know that God commanded the men in the Old Testament to take multiple wives. And I go, well, I've read the Old Testament and I know that he did not command them to take multiple wives. He allowed it, but it was wrong. It was sin on their part and they reaped the consequences of it. And you can read all about it in Ecclesiastes when Solomon talks about all the issues that he had in his multiple wives, with his multiple wives. So, um, so like the Mormons' history was wrong, so are the Pharisees here saying that, Well, we were commanded, we're commanded to divorce them and to put her away. And don't you love that language, ladies? Just put her away, you know, like the bag of trash, you know, you leave out on the, on the, you know, I'm done with you, you know? And, uh, and so what they left out here was, um, you know, first of all, it wasn't a commandment and they forgot to leave out the very important part as if there was sexual immorality that God allowed um, divorce, or he made a concession for divorce. And when Jesus gets into that, verse, well, verse 7, it says, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. So God's will is that divorce never happen even if sexual immorality occurred. 
His heart is always for reconciliation, but because people's hearts are hard, he permits, and it's important to note that, he permits divorce if sexual, and only if, sexual immorality has happened. Um, Because man is so hard-hearted, marriage has become non-binding anymore. And it got to be the point when the hostility in the marriage was so intense that the only two options were either killing each other or getting a divorce that God said, fine. Very sadly, he said, fine. Fine, I'll allow it. I'll make a concession because you are so hard-hearted and you won't humble yourself and you won't repent of your sin and you're always pointing the finger at your wife. You are so hard that fine. And one of my favorite Bible teachers who's done a great bit of uh, marriage counseling said that many a divorce can be traced to this area, hardness of heart. Couples refuse to sit and to submit to the authority of God's word. They sit as far away as they can, and as they do, their hearts get harder and harder. And he began to say, More of a, many a divorce could be avoided if repentance of my sin took place. The issue here is hardness of heart. And because people won't humble themselves the first time that things start going south in their marriage, the first fight that happens is the wife runs into the bedroom. The husband says, you know what? Every other time I humble myself and I ask for forgiveness, but this time I'm right. And it's about time that she humbles herself and asks for forgiveness. And the minute that that happens, you can hear the heart get iced up and become hard. You know what the Lord's heart is, is that we walk in humility as husband and wife and that we forgive one another in love and we ask for forgiveness to one another. And it's not just going in and saying, I'm sorry, honey, but it's going in and and saying, honey, forgive me. Forgive me. I was wrong and I repent. And you know what? I've been there. I've been in places that many of you are at today. You know, I'm not perfect and I've only been married for seven years. And so I know that I have so much to learn, but, you know, I'll be the first one to admit, you know, that I'm not the best husband. But as, as uh, we had the Luis Palau in the park the other day, um, you know, went home from that and on a spiritual high, just encouraged and getting ready for youth camp and, you know, packing my stuff for youth camp. And all of a sudden, Lindsay and I are in this huge fight And I have no clue how we got to that point, you know, although I do know that I was being a jerk. I'll tell you that. I can look back on things I was saying. I was like, oh, yeah, I looked pretty cool there for a minute. But then it just (laughs) it went south pretty good. Um, mm. But we were packing and Lindsay was going to go down to Klamath Falls to visit her family during the youth retreat. And um, it got to the point to where she just got in the car and left. And in, in my, you know, every parent's wise counsel to us before we've gotten married has been what? Don't ever let the sun go down on your anger. And just as much as I have tried in the last seven years, just, that's just a rule I live by. And now I'm thinking, oh, I've got three whole days for her to just let that fester and let her feel bad about what she did, you know. Three days, that ought to do it. And as I'm driving to camp, <laughs> the Lord's like, yeah, this is not good. <laughs> You know, 
uh, what about that whole don't let the sun go down on the anger thing? And I was just like, ah, oh, you're right. And then he's like, yeah, and you remember the way you said this and when you said that and this and that and this and that? And yeah, he's like, you better call her right now and you need to ask for forgiveness. And so I did that. I had to do that. And then I called Frank and I was like, Frank, pray for me. You know, I just had to humble myself. Like I've known Frank for a couple months, you know, and I'm like, dude, I'm on my way to teach a youth camp. And I just got in a huge fight with my wife and there's total spiritual attack right now. And and he was like, man, thank you so much for sharing that. You can always share that with me. And let me tell you guys something. The more you harden yourself and try to be the tough guy or the tough girl and you try to stick it to your husband or your wife, the worse your marriage is going to get and the harder your heart is going to become. But the minute you humble yourself and you ask for forgiveness, strongholds are broken down and breakthrough happens. And I'll tell you one thing. If you fall on the rock, you'll be broken, Jesus says. But if you don't, the rock will fall on you and grind you to powder. How much better to just fall on the mercies of God and to humble yourself and say, Lord, I'm so weak in this area. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best man, but I need your strength. And as uh, as I was on staff for seven and a half years at Calvary Chapel in Corvallis, I'd watch the the marriages come into the office to meet with Gene, our marriage pastor. And there was a little leather love seat there in the waiting room that I think we picked a love seat for a reason. If we would have picked a normal sized couch, you know, they would have been at far ends of the couch. But even on the love seat, they're like, you know, each hugging the armrests, you know. And they'd go in there and, you know, 90% of the time they'd come out no better off than when they went in. And it just got to be to where they wouldn't heed the counsel that Gene was counseling them. And, and one of the things that they had to finally make a requirement of is if you were going to get marriage counseling at this church, you had to be at Sunday and sit under the teaching of the word of God on Sunday and on Wednesday night. And you had to be at the weekly prayer meeting for marriage counseling to continue. Because what that shows is that you are serious about your marriage being healed and you know that God can heal it. And you're willing to humble yourself and sit under the authority of of the word of God. And you're willing to humble yourselves and receive prayer. And man, I'll tell you, it's one of the most incredible things is we had Saturday night prayer meeting and and the, the couples would come to be prayed for. And as Rob would set the two chairs out in the middle of the prayer circle and say, today we're going to pray for so-and-so and their marriage. And, and it was incredible because you'd see them come to the prayer meeting at first and they were hard and they were ashamed and they didn't want this. And, and some were angry they had to do it. But to watch them soften and then finally when they humbled themselves and they confessed and they knew that this is what they needed was, was to soften their heart and to, and to fall on the rock and be broken. And to just watch life come back into those marriages was incredible. There needs to be a softening of the heart. And today I pray that you'll purpose in your heart that by the end of this study or actually right now, that you'll soften your heart and you'll allow the Lord to do a work in your marriage. And you'll quit pointing the finger at the other person and saying, you don't know what they've done. And you'll look in your own heart and you'll say, here's what I've done. I need to get right with the Lord myself. If there would have been brokenness and renewal, and if pastors would just tell people that divorce is wrong, what a much healthier place the church would be in, and what a much more healthy place families would be in. 
All that God meant for us in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 cannot be erased by a legal document or a certificate from a court. He has so much more. He has reconciliation in mind. And as, as this pastor that I've been sharing about um, has, has counseled people and they've ignored him and they've went ahead with the divorce, they'll come back to him and they'll tell him, divorce seems so much more appealing and prospect than in actuality. And boy, doesn't it just seem so much better, that first thought of, oh man, I wouldn't have to hear that nagging anymore or put up that attitude or you know, the bad cooking or whatever it might be. And oh, just at first, just that little bit of like rebellion stirs up in you and you're like, I'm going through with it, you know. But then in actuality, after all of the bombshells have exploded and the wars and the battles and the division of every article in the house, how there's nothing but, but brokenness and, and hurt and bleeding left over. And so Jesus says there's no way in the world that God commanded divorce, but rather because of the hardness of your heart, he permitted you to divorce. And let's go ahead and look at that passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Go ahead and flip there. It says Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some sexual uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, then she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her first husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For this is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So Moses' law did three things. First of all, it established an official legal procedure which made getting a divorce even harder. No longer could you just throw your hands up in the air after the honeymoon is over and say, I'm through. But rather, you had to go to Moses. You had to state your case. And in this case, it was only for sexual immorality within the marriage. And then you, you would write out this certificate and you would present it to the spouse. So it made uh, getting a divorce even harder. Secondly, Moses' law necessitated kind of a cooling off period. You know, you had to go and seek out a scribe and you had to pay a large sum. And all of this was, in, in, you know, it was supposed to be a deterrent. You know, instead of just being like, you know what? I hate you. I'm out of here. Fine. And you just never see the person again. It was, I'm angry with you. I'm going down to the courthouse. I'm going down to Moses' tent, you know. And if you're walking, kicking rocks. No, you don't even know. You know what I've been through? You know who I am? You're just walking along, you know. You know, the Holy Spirit's going to be like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, and, oh, man, I'm wrong. You know, and, uh, and so, it, you know, it intended things to be a deterrent to go get that certificate. And thirdly, 
it confronted the person with reality. Because once a man divorced his wife and she remarried, he could never remarry her again. Even if she was made a widow, he couldn't take her back and marry her. And so as this would all be explained to the man as he's getting the divorce, give me that divorce paper. And all right, buddy, well, I want you to know one thing. If you sign this and she remarries, you'll never be married to her again. I just want you to know that. Well, really? I didn't know that. You know, and kind of puts the pen down. Oh, yeah, that doesn't seem right. I wouldn't want anyone else marrying her because I kind of like her, you know. And, oh, you know. And so then pretty soon, you oh, I'm so sorry. Me too. Let's hug. Um, and so Moses's law was meant to postpone, not condone divorce. It was to prevent divorce, not permit divorce. And so what we're experiencing now in America's courtrooms is over a million children a year sit in the courtrooms and watch their parents get a divorce is exactly what God wanted to spare Israel from with Deuteronomy's law. And so just because God allows divorce doesn't mean he approves of divorce. In fact, if you flip over to Malachi, which I hope you do, because we're going to read a little bit there. We're told in Malachi 2.16 that God hates divorce. He says, I hate divorce, says the holy God of Israel. And if you read the context, Malachi chapter 2, verse 13, it says, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Notice she's, marriage is a covenant that we make with the Lord, not a contract that could be burnt up with any whim that we felt, but it's a covenant. And in the Old Testament, when you made a covenant... If you were to break that covenant, uh, you, would, you would be put to death. She's your companion and your wife by covenant. But he did not make them, uh, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. You know, he, he made them one flesh so that we could raise our children up in the, in the, the doctrine of God and the love of Jesus so that they would also go forth and be evangelists. And, and, um, and so he won because he wanted godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. And today here at Calvary Chapel, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. The New Living Translation says, let none of you overwhelm her with cruelty. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. It covers one's garment with violence. And man, if you've been through a divorce or you know people that have gotten divorces, how rude and violent and hateful and vengeful um, we can get during those times. He hates divorce because he ordained it marriage to be that of Genesis chapter one and chapter two, two, one flesh, two being made one flesh. And then he goes on to say there in Matthew chapter 19, 
Verse 8, he permitted you to divorce your wives. Because of the hardness of your heart, he permitted you to divorce your wives. And then he says, but from the beginning, it was not so. And so we're not to deal with this moral issue. It's a moral issue. And we can't deal with it by taking that certificate, which a godly society says we can have for any and every reason. The fact that the forms exist does not justify their use. The Phillips translation says, it was because you knew so little of the meaning of love that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Understand that Moses' law was to people in the Old Testament who didn't have the power of the Holy Spirit or the love of Jesus as an example or the grace of the gospel to resolve these conflicts. And so a concession was made. But as believers were witnesses of Jesus' great love and how he was so selfless and he laid down his life for us while we were still sinners so that we can in turn show mercy and compassion and love to our wives or to our husbands. We have no such excuse because we've been softened as believers. We've been softened by God's grace. So Jesus says that the only legitimate reason for divorce is adultery. And then verse 9, he says, And I say to you that whoever divorces his wives except for his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. It's a hard verse to chew. It's a hard verse to swallow. Did Jesus really just say that? Is he really that narrow-minded? Well, he really did just say that. Is this the one exception for which I may be divorced? Yes. Well, am I shut up here when it comes to the subject? Yes. Are there no loopholes? (laughs) No. We take God at his word. You see, in Jewish law, if a person was found guilty of adultery, he was killed or she was killed, making the other spouse a widower, freeing them for remarriage. And here Jesus shows mercy to the non-guilty person and gives them the option of remarriage. In any other case, aside from sexual immorality, in any other case, even after the divorce has taken place, God still considers the two married. Isn't that incredible? In, In God's economy, even after a divorce, he still considers the two married and any relationship outside of their marriage is considered adultery unless the other person has remarried. So if the person who is dismissed is married again, are they committing adultery? Yes. If it's apart from sexual immorality being the cause of the divorce. Now, the important thing is, does God's grace extend this far? Does God's grace extend this far? You know, uh, I'm divorced and, and uh, I'm remarried now. And man, I'm really feeling condemned by your message, Rory. And man, I really hope there's no condemnation coming out of my mouth. Because the good news is, is that God's grace extends this far. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. God hates divorce, but he loves the divorcee. He hates the sin that brought you to that point. But oh, how he loves you. If you're remarried now after a divorce and it's 
too late to reconcile. Can God bless this marriage? Yes, but here's what you need to do. First of all, you need to treat your sin as any other sin by confessing it. And when I say sin, I mean you need to look at how your marriage had dissolved and how it fell short of the glory of God. It fell short of God's righteous standards. It, it fell short of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And I would even encourage you, perhaps you're the one that's been dismissed and it wasn't for sexual immorality purposes or whether it was or whether it wasn't, that you look at your heart. Because the temptation is to still just be like, well, it was still his fault and I tried to keep the marriage going and, and he's the one that left me. And I still say, I encourage you to look at how this all went about and to see what things that you did that may have led to the divorce, perhaps marrying a non-believer in the first place or, or marrying a person who was showing signs of being treacherous and dealing with you that way, and, and you knew before you married this person that this probably will end in divorce in a few years. And even though it was you that was dismissed, and as hard as that might be, I encourage you to look and to just examine yourself compared to God's righteousness and just humble yourself and just say, Lord, I see how I fell short. And in this new season of my life, I repent of that. And I want to walk in obedience to your commands. And, and, uh, and so whether you're remarried and it's too late to reconcile or perhaps you're recently divorced and, and you've, you're single now, treat your sin as any other sin by confessing it. And then look back on the mistake you made from God's perspective and repent and be obedient to the Lord in this current marriage. As with all sin, it's terrible that none should feel that they've sinned themselves out of the love of God and his kingdom because of adultery. And if you're here today and you know that you're in Christ and yet the enemy's condemning you and saying, see, you're not even, you're, you're not saved. You're not a good Christian. Really, God doesn't want you here. And none of the other people here do. And listen to Rory and look at that look on his face. He obviously doesn't like you, you know, you know what guys, that's condemnation. And you're in Christ now. You, if you've received Christ, you're a new creation. All things have been made new and you can start afresh. I love that Jesus came upon a woman one day who'd been caught in adultery, actually caught in the act. And the Jews had drug her out of the house and were beginning to stone her. And when Jesus came, he looked at her in the eyes and he said, go and sin no more. The Pharisees had a different plan of attack. We're going to make an example out of this lady and we're going to kill her. And many churches do that to people who are longing for salve and a balm on their heart and healing and restoration and forgiveness. And they've just come out of something horrible and they, they want to start anew and start afresh. And Jesus just looks at you and he just says, go and sin no more. There's one other uh, cause for divorce that I think that the Lord shows mercy on. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse verse 10 through 16. And that cause is abandonment. And man, it's a, it's a gray area, you know, the, the cause of abandonment. It's gray because God's heart is still reconciliation. His heart is reconciliation. And so let's just read this. And I'm just going to let the word speak for itself. First Corinthians seven, verse 10. 
Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or to be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. And so we we see a principle. We see separation. We see a period of them not being together, but yet the heart there of reconciliation. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, get this, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And so we see out of this passage that incompatibility and irreconcilable differences And we decided to just be friends. (laughs) These are not legitimate reasons for divorce. I remember uh, went to a friend's house for Thanksgiving and and there was a couple on the stairs. um, And I just was going around meeting people and went to the the couple that was sitting on the stairs. And they were sitting awful close and seemed awful happy. And there may have been a little physical contact there. I don't know. But uh, I just went up and introduced them. and, And as they introduced themselves, they said, yeah, he's my ex and she's my ex. I was like, whoa, (laughs) was not expecting that one, you know? And, um, and then they said, you know what? It was better when we got a divorce, you know, we're better off as, as friends. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) that's not biblical. (laughs) Woo. But, um, I didn't make it awkward or anything, but, um, and then, you know, the interesting thing is, is now they're best friends and they're going all about around the world uh, ge- they're geocaching buddies, you know, so they, you know, get their GPS machine and they find that there's like a hidden treasure somewhere and they go over and to like Hawaii or wherever and find it, you know, they're, they have a hobby together now that they're divorced and I'm like, whoa, that's also interesting, you know, and then to make it more interesting, I found out that they uh, had been divorced, uh, become friends and now fell in love with one another after one of them had remarried and gotten another divorce and now they want to get married again. And so it was very difficult because we just read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and, and they're wanting to get remarried and the whole family are believers and half the family saying, Deuteronomy 24, you guys can't get remarried. And the other half of the family saying, what are you talking about? You know, God's grace covers that. They're, they were married once. They should get married again, you know? And, and so there was a feud going on in the family about this. And are you, this should never happen. This should never have happened. This was never God's heart. We should never be having debates like this. This was not how it was in Genesis chapter 1. And you see the the effects of sin here. But just being incompatible is not a reason for divorce. And many Christians live confused about this. There was a poll where two-thirds of Christians saw divorce as a reasonable solution to a problemed marriage. It's just a, it's a reasonable, that's a reasonable solution. You know, they don't really hang out much. So he hangs out a lot more with her. 
So they should just get a divorce and then he can go, burka, burka, you know, it's like. And the question is, is the salt losing its flavor? We're losing our saltiness as Christians. We're becoming so much like the world that we don't even come to the, the book. It's so dusty sitting by our bed or under the minivan seat. You know, we don't even know where it is during the week that, of course, we'd give someone counsel to go ahead and get a divorce. It seems like the reasonable solution because we're not spending time in the word. And I tell you today, I tell you today, apart from sexual immorality, divorce is not an option. And even if there is sexual immorality, my counsel will always be reconciliation. Divorce is not in my vocabulary. My mom always said that to me growing up. She's like, Rory, your dad and I are going to be married forever. Divorce is not in our vocabulary. And as believers, as a fresh start today, as believers, it shouldn't be in ours. And so if two believers are married and one person bails, we have two options. Remain single until that other person is remarried or be reconciled to that person, which is God's ultimate heart. And as we study God's high and awesome standards for marriage and divorce and remarriage, we come to the conclusion that a marriage is worth fighting for. And we come to the conclusion that we are not to rush into a marriage. If you're a single person here today, you are not to rush into a marriage, but you are to pray it through. And you're to, 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 to look at your future spouse or the person you want to, to, to marry, and you're to look at them and examine them to the scriptures. And we hold to God's word that we're not to be unequally yoked to a non-believer for what fellowship has light with darkness. It has no fellowship. Don't marry that person. Don't missionary date. As you're doing this, you know, you need to be thinking things through. You need to be praying through, should I marry this person? Lord, should I marry this person? And to go to your wise counselors, go to your parents and talk through with them. Go to your pastor and talk through with him. Go to the elders, go to the women and the men in your life who, who, who are wise and listen to their counsel. And parents, be wise counsel to your children. You know, the temptation is there to be like, oh, you know, Billy, he's always been awkward and not the best looking guy in school and uh, he's finally got a girlfriend so that's good and um, she's willing to marry him so bring him on over we're gonna have a party and a big dinner Woo! let's get this kid married off well she a believer ah uh, i don't think so they don't really talk about god whoa you know <laughs> parents be wise counsel speak the truth in love marrying the wrong person is not an excuse to get a divorce and so many people, they marry the wrong person because they were never counseled otherwise. I've spoken to a few children of divorced parents because there were always divorces with my high school kids, you know, and, and they'd, they'd be hurting and broken and stone cold. And I'd ask them, how are you doing, you know, since your parents have got divorced? And they would look at me and they would just say, it's just, it's better that they got divorced. Things are so much better. It's just, it's better that they got a divorce. And while I understand their, you know, what they mean is, woo, there's been a lot less fighting around the house and a lot less slamming doors and a lot less exploding bomb shells. But that's not the Lord's heart. The Lord's heart, it's better. Can you imagine? Oh, it's better since they've humbled themselves and asked for forgiveness and reconciled. And it's better now that my dad has 
godly men lifting his arms up and praying for him and holding him accountable. And, and then my mom has the same with women. Oh, it's better rather than it's better that they're divorced because now they're just not screaming and slamming doors. And, oh, so grieves me and I know it grieves the Lord. Verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. You know, Jesus had just upped the ante with marriage. And the disciples are all, are all listening to Jesus' standards on divorce and his heart on divorce. And, and they're, you know, playing through their mind the big fight that they had with their wife as they slammed the door in their wife's face, you know, on the way over to hang time with Jesus, you know. And, and they're playing it through and they're just like, Man, right after time with Jesus today, I was going to go get a certificate of divorce and hand it to my wife, but now I can't do that, you know? And they're just like, wow, Lord, you've really got some standards. It's better for someone just to not get married. Exactly. It is better for you to just not get married than to marry a person that it's ultimately going to end in divorce. You know, they're thinking, man, I've been memorizing Psalm tw- Proverbs twenty-one nineteen. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. You know, Lord, how do you interpret that verse for me today? But now they cannot, and they know they need to go back and work on their marriage. And for us today, as we close, just know that I can't do it on my own. Rory, I can't, Rory can't do it on his own. He can't have a healthy marriage on his own. You can't have a healthy marriage on your own. Just as I need to walk in humility and and call my buddies and have my arms raised and and call my wife and and be humble, so do you too. But we can't do it on our own. We need the power of the Lord and we can do it. Victory is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in in Ephesians chapter 5, right before he gets into uh, the relationship between husbands and wives and husbands, you know, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and, and wives submit to your husbands before he gets into any of that. In Ephesians chapter five, he says that you need to be filled with the spirit. You need to be filled with the spirit today or your marriage. It's going to be, if it even works at all, it's going to be miserable or your relationship with your kids. As he goes on to say, you need to be filled with the spirit to be a good parent or to be a good child or to be a good boss or to be a good employee. We can't do it on our own. And so as Stuart and the worship team come up, we're just going to respond to the Lord. And you can go ahead and put your things down. And man, if you are a, are a, if you're a person here today who, you know, perhaps this study was a hard one to sit through because you're, you're divorced and you're single or you're divorced and you're remarried. And man, we want you to know here today that there is love for you here. There is grace to cover your sins. That if you repent of your sin and if you look back and examine your life according to God's standards and his words, and you say, man, this is how I've fallen short. Lord, I want, I want to ask for forgiveness and I want to be obedient now. And I want my life now to be a, a representation of you. Man, there's so much grace to cover your sin and so much grace for your current marriage to be a healthy marriage. Man, if you're in, a, in your, you're in the state of near divorce right now, man, today I just plead with you to humble yourself, to humble yourself and to fall on the rock and be broken 
And it's painful. There's a little bit of pain there to, to, you know, humble yourself. You have to lay your pride aside and you have to confess and, and share with your friends that, man, I'm struggling. I need prayer. And I, I've been cruel to my wife. I've been rude and disrespectful to my husband. Maybe even to the point of I've been unfaithful And I know that it was wrong and I need forgiveness. And man, I just, number one, I need to, to be cleansed and to be made new. I need the Lord to work in my marriage today. Don't walk away proud today. Don't walk away thinking you can take care of it yourself because you can't. But there's strength for today here in this place. And as we seeing this last song, Mighty to Save. We're going to have the elders come forward. And man, if you are, are a hurting marriage and you just want prayer, or maybe you just, you're not a hurting marriage, but there's been attack on your marriage lately and you just want to stop it right now. You want to nip it in the bud. You want to, to, to tear down the enemy's strongholds and say, you know what? No, right now I'm purposing in my heart that when the trials come or the arguments come, I'm going to be quick. I'm going to be quick to humble myself and fall on the mercies of God. And just there's prayer for you this morning. And maybe you're, you're remarried and and you just want prayer for your remarriage to just be founded on the principles of God. Or maybe you're just divorced and you're single and you just need prayer this morning to come forward. Man, we're going we're gonna to sing that he is mighty to save. He's mighty to save our marriages. And one of the lines of this song says that, that he's beaten death and he's risen from the grave. And how encouraging to know that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in us as Christians. And he can raise our marriages from the, from the dead, from the ash heaps today. Lord, we throw ourselves on your mercies, God. Heal the marriages in this body this morning. Lord, bring repentance to those who need to repent today, God. Encourage those who need to be encouraged. Pour out grace on those who need grace today, God. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, log on to our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. You can also mail us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. If you'd like to contribute to this ministry, you may also do so through our website or by mail. Thank you for listening, and God bless.